Well, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Transfix Take podcast, where we are performance-driven. Each week, we deliver news, insights, and trends for shippers and carriers from our market expert, Justin Mays. But this week, we've got a very special guest. Welcome, Vishnu Rajamanikan, who covers uh, transport and logistics and is another market expert. Did I get your name right? Yeah, it's Vishnu Rajamanikam. People have a problem with pronouncing the surname, so I just go by Vishnu. <laughs> okay, got it. <laughs> well, welcome to the show, Vishnu. We are so excited to have you. Great to connect, Jenny and Justin. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you for coming. All right, so let's get right into it. For weeks now, we have been discussing the impact of current lockdowns in China, especially in Shanghai, with COVID numbers increasing, Obviously, it's been deeply affecting the trucking market here in the U.S. So I love it if you can talk to us, Vishnu, about some trends that you're seeing and maybe give us an, a perspective on where we're currently at. Totally. Um, I think to understand where we are with uh, the loosening of restrictions, which just came about yesterday um, in Shanghai, it's good to look back at to see where and what happened since the restrictions came into place in March, right? So just in the month of May, Shanghai was seeing uh, less than half its usual trucking capacity in the first week of this month. So uh, the situation is obviously expected to get better from June. Um, over this month, just because of the fewer trucks, it meant that fewer volumes got to the Shanghai port, uh, which saw about a 20% reduction in container exports from its pre-March levels. Um, so while exports did uh, increase consequently from other Chinese ports, uh, the total volume flowing into the U.S. from China has seen a decline over the last couple of months. Uh, but we did, uh, to be sure, uh, did see a lot of offsetting from South Korea and Vietnam. Uh, but it needs to be understood that China is a major trading partner and it we cannot uh, completely transition to other countries. So the U.S. ports did register um, some of its best import volumes, or probably the best uh, so far last month. Um, so just to be certain, there, there are no dearth to inbound volumes uh, into the country. Um, but uh, with the restrictions uh, that are going to be relaxed in China from June 1st, uh, I think we'll have to see how quickly the pending orders get serviced and you know when the import uptake begins from Shanghai. So usually if you see cargo lead times are around 35 days uh, right now, which is actually improved from around, I think, 40, 45 days, the peak uh, shipping season end of uh, last year. So uh, especially to the ports of LA and LB. Um, so um, I think lead times are also roughly around 50 days for the Gulf and East Coast, which is pretty much remained the same for over a year now. Um, so I would say even if we see increased manufacturing activity because of these restrictions being relaxed in China, it still would not hit uh, the US uh, till like early July. Um, but to be really honest, I would say that this anticipated uh, import uptick, um, I look at it with a certain level of skepticism, um, because while it is unquestionable that the pending orders uh, that we've probably accumulated from before, that's, that's going to be a lot, but there's still a fallen new orders fall, uh, flowing into China over the last month. So if you look at the forward-looking indicators like uh, the PMI, 
Chinese manufacturing activity has uh, kind of been expanding over the last year, and it was still February where uh, purchasing managers index was over 50. Uh, but it's been progressively falling since then. Now it's around 46 in April, uh, which is kind of the lowest uh, since the initial uh, shock of the pandemic in 2020. So um, I would say that, um, you know, this one of the reasons for this, I believe, uh, would be probably because shippers were skeptical of uh, China delivering on time for the peak season and thus kind of, you know, diverted orders elsewhere, which probably shows why there's an uptake from South Korea and Vietnam. Uh, but this is still bucking the trend of what should have been a really hot month for China. Mays, I'd love you to jump in there. I know you had some perspective that you just saw this morning, too. So what, what are you seeing on your on your end? No, I completely agree. Um, you know, like he stated, Shanghai, they're actually seeing throughput uh, back over 90% today. Um, and I, I don't think it's going to be nearly as bad as some may have thought it would have been due to their current circumstances of inventory levels, not knowing if that inventory is delayed inventory that is just going to be stored away until the next winter season. But we are seeing some retailers come out reporting their you know, highest inventory levels in quite some time now as they moved from just in time to just in case. And ultimately, that is where we're seeing that truckload market be impacted in the U.S. is, you know, everyone was fighting to push up inventories for almost two years um, and also shift to just in time, I'm sorry, just in case, to where it really drove the spot market bonkers, to be quite honest. Now you are seeing a different issue, and that is in warehousing. And where are these retailers or shippers going to put freight. I think the lockdowns in China impacted different shippers different ways. Um, like, for instance, the automobile sector. Um, this is definitely going to continue to impact their ability. Um, just recently, Toyota said that they will be shutting down some production lines in China this coming week. Um, so I don't think it's going to be as impactful as some may have thought it would have been if different things would have rolled out in, you know, the earnings calls last week's with inventory levels. Um, but I do foresee there potentially being some congestion issues later in summer because we still haven't been able to manage containers throughout the world, especially in the U.S., empty containers getting to where they need to be. And the lockdowns in China also put a little more pressure on container placement that we've already been experiencing. So now if we're talking about this backlog that's kind of looming over us in maybe the start of July or even through the end of summer, I think we're starting to edge way too close to comfort for holiday season, right? Because that is what that's when retailers at least are starting to gear up in that September, October area. So do we feel like we're going to be able to keep up with the rest of the year's demands? And I'll throw that to both of you. Um, I'd say, so there, I think that this needs to be looked at uh, two different perspectives, Jenny. So um, I think we need to differentiate between upstream and downstream demand here. So while uh, shippers are looking to stock up inventories, just like you mentioned, for the fall and year and peak shopping season, much mm -hmm. earlier this year than last year, even though last year in itself was pretty early compared to the year before, uh, we still have to see if consumer demand will uh, remain strong enough or, you know, start trailing off as people spend more on services this year because I think this is the first year where we have a much uh, reduced sense of fear from the pandemic. Um, so 
um, so upstream demand, I would say, would um, would mean that the po- if there's a lot more upstream demand, uh, then it would mean that the ports across the country would um, start to see more congestion, just like in Q3, Q4 last year. Um, maritime spot freight rates could start to climb again. It's still at really high levels, but it's come down from its historic highs last year. Uh, but I think it could start climbing again if the demand upstream goes up. So the LA and LB ports. Um, so you've seen that they've been complaining about the railroad operators, um, calling them that they're still not effective as they were expected uh, to be as, you know, railroads suffer from um, shortages of equipment and also labor. So it's still a big mess. Uh, and any uptake in volumes would inevitably, uh, you know, cause a major jam. Um, and to think of the other side of the spectrum, you know, the downstream demand with consumers, uh, I think retail demand kind of seems to be lukewarm. It's it's kind of looks like it's plateauing. Uh, but yeah, just don't get me wrong that, you know, overall consumer demand, uh, especially discretionary spending, uh, has been pretty high, uh, much higher than pre-pandemic levels. So even if it falls, it's still... Uh, it still would be uh, the industry normalize, uh, normalizing and, and nothing much to worry from an economic standpoint. Uh, but then set against the historic highs of last year, um, we could see a significant uh, year over year fall in spending. Um, and I just want to also mention about the uh, big retailers like you know Target, Walmart, Amazon. So if you notice the earnings reports of these companies, they, they do forecast higher supply chain costs over this, over this year. And Till late, uh, till kind, of, till I think late to 2023. So um, and also they are anticipating lower consumer demand. So they've been uh, building up their inventories. But if consumer demand starts falling slowly, uh, yeah, we might be in for a bad uh, summer. And also, you know, the intersection of these uh, two worlds, like uh, upstream inventory buildup and downstream falling consumer demand, um, this could be a problem for retailers, be it uh, big or small, because is the gross margins are decreasing, which um, obviously is going to create issues for them going forward. And especially with the bigger companies, you can see what's happening in the stock market as, uh, you know, their stocks are taking a beating. Yeah, and I completely agree. I think you hit it on the head, especially with consumerism and how they feel. I mean, I think we're going to kind of get a little insight in, into it in the next 60 days. Um, a lot of People are talking about pulling forward, you know, back to school season. Um, it's a big shipping point in the U.S. And if they were pulling forward freight or pulling forward orders, you would start seeing that on the maritime side rather soon. And we're not quite seeing that yet. So it's hard to tell what, you know, large shippers are planning for when it comes to back to school season, which is usually what you see in Q3, um, even sometimes July, July 4th weekend is usually where you start seeing pain points kind of poke holes in the industry. Um, but I don't really know how it's going to play out this year because of the consumerism. There's, you know, conflicting arguments on both sides of where we will be in 30 days, let alone 60 days. But when we start looking at imports coming into the U.S. and the bookings, we will really see where, like, the large retailers believe the sediment sits by how proactively they are being by pulling forward inventory to avoid the bottlenecks they faced off in the last few years. Yeah, it's interesting because we started to see somewhat of normalization with produce season, right? But then as we enter back to school season and then moving forward, there's a lot of this 
a lot of uncertainty. And, and if nothing else, the supply chain is nothing but volatile, right? And, and always trying to keep catch up with itself. But, you know, we've got, so what I'd love to love to get into now is we're coming right on contract negotiations for the International Longshore and uh, Warehouse Union. And although that's been pushed back, we're expected to reach an agreement by July 1st, right? And so, it's, it's no surprise the terminals have been under immense pressure to improve service levels and have, you know, not have a repeat of what we went through in, what was it, October, November, December from last year. And there's this long record now of the union employing work slowdowns so that they can win these types of concessions. So I wonder, Vishnu, I'll start with you. Is there a chance that with lockdowns, you know, starting to kind of go away and now we're catching up with ourselves um, do you think that we'll see a part two of what we saw in, in these uh, slowdowns and, and congestions from last year? Um, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, it's, it's, it's really hard to anticipate Jenny. I would put it that way because yeah. for one, uh, both the, uh, the maritime association and the, uh, longshoremen, uh, warehousing union, um, uh, they both have kind of mentioned that the talks wouldn't extend, but, uh, based on what has happened before, um, we cannot be really sure. Right. And it's right. not just us, like the shippers themselves are kind of skeptical, which kind of shows why, uh, people have been like, uh, shippers and retailers, they've been uh, slowly uh, moving their freight or rather transitioning them from the West Coast to the Gulf and the East Coast. So um, just the last month, you saw the East Coast around uh, 14% increase in volumes and the Gulf uh, a staggering 25% increase while the West Coast, uh, uh, it actually fell by 1%. Mm. So it could it pro- it could probably be because of the contract negotiation problems and shippers probably felt that it could hold up their freight as uh, talks extend beyond schedule. Um, but you know, just just to point out, this is just the case of container imports, right? So uh, this has a direct bearing on the dry van trucking segment, but the flatbed mm. segment that's been uh, which which uh, depends on the industrial activity uh, that has things sorted out as the market is pretty strong today. Absolutely. Like you said, there's been a huge shift to the East Coast and the Gulf ports. um, And I can't even give you a list of how many records these ports have been setting this year. And it still worries me, though, if the negotiations do go south, um, because Long Beach and L.A. are still the number one in terms of imported volume. But I believe that the shippers are much more prepared this year to continue to reroute shipments to the Gulf, to the East. And I, I still hope for the best. Um, both parties have said that they're, you know, going to come to an agreement. So I, I'm hoping, but like you pointed out, the history isn't so much with that. So time will definitely tell, but I do think we are bet, much better suited right now due to the issues that we've gone through in the last two years. Now, how do we think, carriers will be affected, right? Because right now there's a lot stacked up against them with rising fuel costs, with, you know, dramatic increases in overhead operation costs, especially for smaller owner operators and even some mid-sized carriers here. But as we start thinking about potential uh, influxes of, um, of freight that's coming in from all of these ports, how do we think carriers will be affected in the long run? And will we see another exit of, and I say that in quotes, right? Another exit of carriers through 2023. 
this is a this is a something that's near and dear to me. Um, obviously, in this the truckload sector, we go through these cycles. Um, usually, they're in you know three year loops. This year, with the steep drop in spot rates and the rather significant surge in fuel prices, and what we saw over the last two years with what I call a migration of drivers going and running on their own or running for smaller fleets instead of the big national fleets they traditionally do. It worries me. I feel like we could actually end up losing a lot of capacity, which just puts that cycle back into play because right now it's extremely difficult for them to continue to cover their costs to operate. And I'm only talking about the smaller and owner operators, but not only has fuel gone up, but insurance has gone up equipment costs, the cost to own a tractor, all of their costs have gone up. And now they are also facing a pretty big downwind in actual revenue that they are getting per load. It actually almost benefits the big national carriers as they are more contractually committed than the smaller carriers who rely on the spot market. It definitely worries me, Jenny, and I'm glad you brought it up because I think it's something that the industry has always needed to navigate through, but we really need to come together as an industry because we've got to stop going through these supply and demand cycles to where we bring in capacity and we push that capacity out by, by going through these pricing cycles. Um, it's super top of mind for me. Um, I totally agree. I totally agree. I think also some of the factors that we need to, um, uh, you know, remember is that the prices today, even if the spot market, uh, the prices have gone down over the last couple of months, it's still pretty high compared to pre-pandemic rates. Uh, but then if you take in the fuel prices, increase in labor costs, increase in maintenance, increase in insurance costs, increase in, um, you know, um, vehicle costs. So everything has been increasing. So it kind of makes uh, makes up for the increase in freight costs. But on the flip side, uh, I, this is something I think, you know, we need to think about. So since the market is really cyclical, if the smaller companies, smaller uh, trucking uh, owner operators and small trucking firms, if um, since they depend a lot on the spot market and because their operational costs are much higher today and a lot of them who um, moved into the spot market by splitting out of uh, bigger trucking firms over the last year just to uh, you know fish for the for the profits that uh, the trucking industry was raking in last year uh, these people would be the first ones to be hit uh, because of uh, you know a, a downturn um, but on the other side if you see um, if thousands of such or hundreds of such uh, companies go out of um, you know uh, out of favor and and uh, the operations uh, fail this year you would see that the demand, if it still remains high and the supply of uh, freight capacity, if it goes low, again, prices would go up. Uh, and you see this pressure to be also coming in from the warehousing side. So we find that warehousing capacity has been really low. So space availability has been low for over a year or probably a couple of years. So any increase in warehousing needs in, in the way of you know, getting more volumes into the market, um, this would kind of, you know, create a problem like the bullwhip effect from China, we would start seeing bottlenecks worsen across warehouses. And this would hit trucking operations indirectly as it would increase idling. And if idling is increased, then it reduces overall trucking capacity due to increased inefficiency where drivers would 
uh, driving fewer uh, hours of uh, their service. And this means that, again, capacity goes down. So there's a negative feedback loop here, which constantly pressures uh, the, you know, the available capacity down. So after a point, if prices go down, you would see many companies, um, you know, failing. And this would, again, cyclically increase the prices and you will probably see more companies coming into the market again. So I think it's super cyclical and probably the cycles are much shorter this year than what you would see, you know, in, in, in a normal market. Well said. Um, that is perfect. Yeah. And, you know, and so I, I'd love to also, cause we, we hit on it for a moment there, but consumers are definitely starting to feel, if not, you know, through the beginning of the year into today, the cost of inflation that we're now having to pay for, whether it's with, you know, baked in warehousing costs or, you know, localization of freight and, and all of that. So I'm, you know, just to give you an example, price of milk has gone up what by $2 almost, you know, and, and specific to where you are. And I wonder, is the, um, the downshift in consumer spend for retail is, do you, would we say that's attributed to the inflation rate? I'd say definitely. Yeah. Because, um, you know, the fed rising interest rates, um, hiking that would mean that, uh, the real value of the U S dollar that people hold, especially in cash. And we know that, uh, people in the lower half of the economy, they are, you know, the lower middle class and the poor people, they hold more of their money in cash and the real value of their cash goes down. And this means that they have to somehow reduce, uh, their spending. And this, you know, it's a direct impact. So I would say as long as you have high CPA inflation uh, rates, high fuel costs, it, this is bound to happen. You're going to see people reducing uh, the money, especially on discretionary spending. And as I already mentioned, people are going to stop or rather reduce the amount of money they're going to spend on goods and probably spend more on services because it's been, uh, they probably didn't spend a lot on services over the last couple of years. So yeah, I think um, this is uh, consumer demand has been historically high over the couple of years. Um, it has bucked the trend. It's been much higher than the trend. If you see the trend line starting from 2008 to 2019. So it's already been much above, way above uh, the trend line. So I would say that it is bound to come down or rather it's bound to normalize. So when, when you see normalizing um, um, demand, you would be seeing demand to fall because that's the only way to go. Yeah, and I couldn't agree more. It's almost like we're being hit from both sides. You know, the inflationary pressure is going to definitely possibly stop some consumer spending on goods that, you know, we are directly transporting. And then at the same time, more people are going to the services, you know, they're getting out of their house um, and spending money elsewhere other than on goods. Okay, I'm going to throw this, uh, I think, last two questions to both of you here. But if there was one magic thing the supply chain could go through to stop this these vicious cycles that we keep going through what would it be i feel like this is a very baited question but at least where would you start vishnu i'll throw it to you first um yeah i, I the problem today is that uh, it's not just today right like you have um, two sides of the spectrum where the shippers want prices to go down, uh, the freight prices to go down, while the shipper or the couriers want prices to go up. So if 
either way the market turns there's you're gonna have one stakeholder who's gonna be really happy and the other who's not gonna be happy yeah so if you consider the economy at large so right now spot trades going down is actually helping the economy because your cpi inflation would eventually come down because as long as freight trades are lower logistics costs are lower the price for you know transporting your goods is going to be lower so that kind of uh, directly impacts your inflation rate so that's going to be a good thing and also you saw that the you know the gdp fall this this quarter was also because or rather one of the main reasons was because of high imports so the lesser we import and the lesser logistics cost it's going to be better for the economy of course there are going to be certain stakeholders especially uh, careers who uh, work and run in the spot market they're going to be impacted but we need to understand that most of the market goes through uh, the contracts uh, the tenders so um, the market as such is, has been really strong um, especially for careers who run uh, contract rates and you can see that the intermodal uh, companies have also reported really high um uh, profits uh, over the last couple of quarters or rather the last one year um so i would say reducing or rather falling spot rates is going to be good uh, reducing the imports that we're getting uh from china or elsewhere that's also going to be good for the economy and also come you know uh, people transitioning from buying a lot of goods to uh moving towards services that's also going to be good for the economy at large Yeah and and one of the main drivers that more freight going to the contractual market allows is better efficiency um it's less fragmented so it it drives up the efficiency that's one big issue everyone's aware of in you know the transportation especially the truckload market is how fragmented it is i mean how many carriers there are brokers there are it it's a quite incredible and the amount of waste we have with dwell times at facilities having more freight go contractual is more consistency which allows carriers to work more efficiently and also reduces the dwell times that shippers and receivers when they are not like they have been in the last two years in a panic rush to push freight what we're starting to see these are these are the right ways in which we can start and i think you know obviously i don't know if every shipper in the world is listening to this podcast but if we can start getting a couple to listen to this i think we'll we'll start to see um some you know maybe less of a vicious cycle every year and and sh- and maybe longer cycles of trying to figure out and remedy issues as opposed to these short ones that we keep seeing um that said this has been an excellent episode thank you so much vishnu for joining us today i hope to have you back on future episodes um and and tune in next week for an all new episode of the transfix take podcast drive safely All views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of Transfix Inc. or any parent companies or affiliates or the companies with which the participants are affiliated and may have been previously disseminated by them. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are based upon information considered reliable, but neither Transfix Inc. nor its affiliates nor the companies with which the participants are affiliated warrant its completeness or accuracy and it should not be relied upon as such. All views and opinions are subject to change. Thank you.